I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole. Now live. Tuesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. On the Para-X Radio Network. Welcome, welcome. This is Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole, and you're listening to Andrea Vitimus and Jason M. Caldwell. How are you doing, Jason? Hey, I'm doing great. How about you, Andrea? I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I got to say, I got, uh, I got a couple new books. I bought my daughter, my stepdaughter, a, a new pink desk. Uh, I got The Power of the Unpopular, which is a business book, but it's it's excellent. And I got a couple interesting occult books, uh, some of which like, I'm going to write for, which one of which is the, you know, the uh, Pillar Journal, which the first one that I saw was pretty interesting. So you get a couple free books. Uh, you really can't complain. Oh, you definitely can't. That sounds like a good deal. Yeah, no, no. Like I said, the first, the Pillar Journal, that the first one I saw was uh, very excellent. Uh, pure, Pillar's periodical journal, um, and I was pretty happy. So, with what I saw, and he asked me to write for him, and I'm going to write about Corazon. Ooh, that's a scary topic, dude. It is what it is. It seems, you know. People like the dark stuff lately, but we did that ritual for a point, so there you go. Well, why don't you tell the audience about this periodical journal? I mean, is it all forms of occultism? I haven't, I've never heard of it. Uh, it seems like it. Uh, mostly the darker stuff or sort of chaos magic stuff. That's very highly and excellently produced. So it's like one of those books when you get it. Like a talismanic book. Not quite goat skin, but it's very, very artistic and very, very excellent. So how often is it going to be coming out? I think once every six months or so. Yeah. Well, that's cool. And how, what's the price for one of these periodicals? Well, the last one was pretty big, and it was like $25 or so. So That's actually not a bad price, especially if it's big and it's hardcover. Wow. It's not. It's not hardcover, but it's like a normal book except it's it's somewhere that the production quality is halfway in between like the hardcore okay uh, the hardcover uh, and the pressed 
uh, soft cover with the gold leaf and stuff like that. So it's it's still worth it. I'm pretty happy. I don't suppose you have the website for people to order. Uh, Handy. He he sold out the last copies, so now you'll see more and more on my Facebook uh, of the second journal that I'm going to be in. Um, so it should be it should be fun times. All right. Well, guess what's coming up in only three weeks? Yeah, it's convocations. So it is what it is. Um, Con convocation 2013, and it's going to be February 21st through the 24th. Yeah, it should really be a great time. I mean, we, Christopher Penzik will be there. We'll be there. Uh, Jackie Smith, who was on our show earlier on our show, we should get, bring her back. Um, you know, several of the people who are actually going to be at Convocations were on our show. That's true. I bet you Corvus Nocturnum will still be out there. Yeah, Corvus is going to Corvus Nocturnum will be there. Um, I can't remember who else is going to be there. There's a, it's worth going to. There's a lot of people going. You're now a presenter. You have graduated from attendee to presenter for the second year in a row. Well, let's see. Graduated. Hmm. Considering the first time I went, I presented. Hmm. <laughs> Well, but you know, it sounded better when when you say graduated. But right, but but I tell you what, man, if it hadn't been for you telling me how great it was all these years, I never would have given it a shot. So I'm telling everybody in the audience tonight, come on out. You know, look it up on convocation.org. It's worth going to if you're in Detroit. I know it's the weekend after Pantheon, but if you're in Detroit, if you're in Ohio. Illinois, Indiana, if you're in any Pennsylvania, any of the Midwest states, it's worth going to. And heck, if you're as far away as Columbus, if you're as far away as Columbus is, you're only oh, three, three and a half hours away, so you have no excuses. Yep, yep, that's very much true. That's, it's, well, three and a half hours if there's not a blizzard. It is, after all, February. If there's a blizzard, I'll just set the cruise to 35 and I'll see you in six hours. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> so we uh, do not have a guest today except for us. And uh, Jason's pretty much going to interview me uh, again. We're going to talk about uh, space-time magic. But before that, I want to kind of tell everyone we're going to change the format a little. We're going to start asking people... Uh, for bands to come in so we can play more music during the show. Uh, obviously, bands that will give us rights to their music, up-and-coming bands. Uh, it could be any type of music, really, from uh, metal to classical. You know, if you have a cult-based rap, I'm willing to listen to it. Uh, cult-based country music would just be weird. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to invoke demons. That's the opposite of a occult music. It's like Christian stuff. <laughs> you know, I think there actually is occult-based country music. Uh, I don't want to go there tonight, though. I've never heard occult-based country music. Even if it's pagan-based, I'm okay. Really, we want to get people, uh, musicians on the show that are, they haven't quite made it. Uh, they could really use the help. 
who are high quality, talented magicians, of which there is a lot of those type of people out there. So you heard the man. Send us your stuff. Send us an email. Come on. It's easy. You could do andreavitimus at gmail.com or you could do jason614 at gmail.com. There you go. Um, given that the MPEG-3s are probably too big to send over an email, we'll work something out so we can get the music and play it. If we like it, we'll play it. We'll announce it. We'll tell people, you know, basically how great you are. Um, the second thing is is that we're going to start focusing our show a little bit more on the Quantum Life Science Institute. We'll still have guests three weeks out of a month, uh, but for the fourth, we'll actually go over technique-based materials that we ourselves are generating, which tonight's show will be. Well, and this is kind of a selfish show, too, because, you know, Andre asked me a couple days ago, what would we like to talk about? Because we knew we were going to have a round little bit of a coffee table discussion tonight. And you know, of of all the things that we've worked on together as of late, I found the space-time stuff to be the most, shall we say, interesting. And I had a pretty strange experience. I was driving back from Cleveland this past weekend, and uh, normally, it's a two-hour straight drive. Okay, under normal conditions, and that's me speeding a little, I do admit. Uh, but what's going on now is I just really was tired and I was trying to get home and I was just focused, kind of zoning out and going into a semi, semi meditate. Let's, uh, be specific. Cause I don't want you guys to think I was all tranced out driving down interstate 71, but, uh, Oddly enough, that's good that a, you're not admitting that on air because that would be <laughs> horribly bad to admit on air live where any police agencies might be listening to you. Hey, no cop, no crime, no photogenic evidence. <laughs> but there you go. Uh, let's just say when I drive distances, there's there's some kind of level of mild trance that I go into naturally anyway. Uh, that's hard to explain because I think people always associate trance states with being completely out of it, and that's not the case. No, it's really just an altered state of, of consciousness. And, and yes, I mean, I totally get where you're coming from, where you, you're not totally in the classical sense tranced out. Right. Well, so there I was, like in the snowstorm, right? And it was much worse out than what I expected it to be. And, I, and there I was, just kind of focusing on my lane. Uh, kept just it's hard to explain because it wasn't a formal ritual but I'm just focused in my head I just want to get home I just want to get home and when it was all said and done even though I was going well under the speed limit I only lost a half hour took two and a half hours that makes a lot of sense I've had that experience myself um, and in fact there's some servitors out there that like uh, go flow go from Phil Hine um that basically distort time uh, to basically make it so you can get through traffic faster. And that has been an experiment that cast magicians have been using that server for years now, and they find that it works uh, really well, actually. And the reason is that a lot of the assumptions about time and space are, are not correct. At least they don't seem correct for a metaphysician they, or a cultist. They seem like they are optional rules 
to a point. Um, that experience that you describe of only losing a half hour, I, I've been able to make it places when I shouldn't have been able to, uh, even though there wasn't, it wasn't really possible to make it there. Likewise, I have the opposite effect when I'm kind of lazy and I'm in a lazy mood and time just seems to stretch on the road for a trip that should, even though you don't take any breaks, should take two hours, takes three. Um, and you're not really taking any stops. You have the cruise control on. So how does that work? Yeah, but but you notice how it's always the times when you just really don't, it's almost like you want the relaxation of the road. It's not against your will that it took longer. It's actually attuned to your will. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's attuned to your will. So it's not really, it's not working against you per se. It's just not linearly exactly the same each time. And... Um, well, now I'll say this, man. There, there was... Uh, I believe it's chaosmatrix.org. Um, it's been a while since I've, I've read some articles in this this old... It's, it's like a database of old Chaos Magic articles. Um, but there was a servitor some people were working with, and I can't quite think of the name of that servitor, but it was specifically designed to be like a time lord, or a time god of sorts. And some of the results of those experiments were that people found that if they shrank time, say if they shrank their workday their leisure time in the evening expanded. There was like an expansion contraction result. Now, in your personal experiments, have you come across that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, absolutely, because it seems like like a rubber band almost. It's um, almost like it, it has to make up for it somewhere. Or your subconscious mind has to reassert linear time in an exact way. Kind of gets interesting when you start going into retroactive enchantments. You know, that's kind of like the surface of time uh, looks weird. And it looks weird to quantum physicists too. It's not just occultists who have noticed time is a weird thing. Um, but when you start doing retroactive enchantments, it gets really dangerous and fun at the same time. You know, you're essentially enchanting that some aspect of the past is changed and then that changes the present or manifests something in the present for you to have these kind of enchantments Peter Carroll talks about um, in a very kind of mathematical quantum way other people have talked about them but the fact is that all magical enchantments can be retroactive if you're enchanting for something that isn't possible and you've really put extensive energy or gnosis into the enchantment, it has to, by virtue of that, if it's really not possible and you went far enough, change probabilities in the past to make something in the future come about. Now, I would say that I read an argument that Aleister Crowley proposed many years ago well before our time, obviously, that he saw effects in ritual where, say, he did an enchantment to get his friend from the next country over to send him a letter. The letter would arrive the next day. So he was even arguing, was this... He wouldn't have called it a time effect. He didn't seem to have that 
in his head at the time, but he was arguing if he was being predictive of something that was already going to occur when he set out to do his ritual, almost like a, uh, a divination of sorts. Right, and that's the problem with time magic in a nutshell. If you are seriously doing time magic, can you not just say it was predictive of something that happens? I prefer to just choose the idea that time is not set. It's not linear, and it's not set in the past. And in some cases, the reason I think that's a good method to go by is because physicists can't really tell you why there's a difference outside of us between the future and the past as far as time is concerned. Uh, so it makes sense to me that you could just change things. And in changing things, of course, one of the problems is that you're changing yourself. And if you're changing yourself, that means your memories actually probably will change. So unless you really, really kind of set aside some way and thought about it for a while, when you do a change to the past, it will change your memories because you're essentially not the same person. It's, it's paradoxical at that point. Um, now, that doesn't mean that you can't do things. We have, in our own experimentation, done things where you can remember when you're changing things. But it still changes things in a way that you may not be comfortable with. That's why it's not the safest type of magic, but it's very effective if you're in a place that's stuck and you need to open a possibility train that wasn't quite there. Now, on the flip side of it, there's only so far you can go because your subconscious mind still has to accept a linear story. Otherwise, you know, we call that schizophrenia if your mind cannot have a linear story of how things fit together. You have all these memories that no one else has, yeah. Well, that no one else has and that doesn't make linear sense, right? It's like, it's disjuncture memory. It's like a fractured personality at that point, right? You cannot put them into an ordered story. And it's often the story, the, the ordered story that gives us the perception of time, right? If you take the events outside of a story... Would you have a perception of time? I would probably argue no. Our subconscious mind is really hardwired to have this linear story that gives us a perception of time. Now, whether or not time is exactly going on right now or everyone is having all memories at the same time doesn't matter because we put them into a linear story so we can then function as if there was time. At that point, if you break the linear story too much, there's consequences. So, <clears throat> I guess I could bring up the idea of um, subjective versus, uh, oh, you've got a really good term for it. It's, it's basically what the masses believe to be true. Um, okay, say, for example, somebody set out to do an enchantment to give Adolf Hitler a heart attack preceding World War II, that would be a very, very major, major change with a lot of inertia against it. And there's a lot of other people who would not accept such change, right? You would no longer be able to function within consensual reality because consensual reality says, for the most part, for where we're at and your own story, for example, Hitler got killed in World War II. 
right? That's simply to go against such a major event that so many people have uh, proof of is a seriously uphill battle. It's uphill from yourself and it's uphill from consensual reality. It's simply put, it's part of our own upbringing, culture, and accepted facts that that occurred. To go against that makes it to be a pretty uphill battle. Not just for yourself, but now you're going against everyone else's uh, consensual version of reality. You know, several years ago, I listened to a show of um, Coast to Coast AM, the old Art Bell show, and uh, they were talking about a phenomena where large groups of people would remember an event like a an actual newsworthy event and then several years down the road the event would have changed and people would argue about whether or not the event ever occurred and one of the examples given was uh nelson mandela obviously was released from captivity in south america at one point now preceding that historical event nelson mandela supposedly was mass reported to have died in captivity so this was used as an example of why did so many people remember the death of Nelson Mandela yet he was still alive well you know obviously we don't know whether or not that was a propaganda uh, type of thing so we don't really know what went on there because uh, it could have just been South African propaganda right I've thought that. about that explanation too well I mean that's a good kind of negative black ops on the population, you know, if it was suited to government's needs at that point in time. And then stories have a real hard time dying, right? Even if the facts prove something wrong, the story lingers on because people thought that was the truth and they won't psychologically won't disbelieve that it's true. So the story kind of keeps going. And then when it's absolutely positive that the story you know, was not true, it becomes this conspiracy, conspiracy theory. Well, what, what does it say about this? Now, the other explanation is kind of what we're talking about, a weird quantum hiccup, a time hiccup, which if you do any of this type of magic on a small scale, you'll see this kind of hookup, these kind of hiccups in your life, in the actual life. And you've seen them, and I've seen them, when we actually sit down to do this kind of weird type of magic, which we should start talking about, um, that we get these hiccups. I don't know so much, I can't, don't really have a good explanation for a hiccup on such a large scale. Um, and it could be misinformation, but that was used as, as one specific example of a phenomena where facts to just... There were two versions of stories, multiple stories, two versions, and no one could come to a consensus of how an event could have gone down so drastically different. But who knows? I mean, I'm just saying maybe time. I'm using this as a theory that perhaps time has its own hiccups without magical intervention. No, that's certainly possible. Any system can fail at times. In fact, every system will fail or hiccup at times. It doesn't matter if it's a computer system or a universal system. So, now, something that's kind of cool, I'm sure a lot of people out there have seen What the Bleep Do We Know, and I know that you came up with some rituals 
oh, quite a few years ago at this point, based around some of the cool things, the possibilities that were, oh, put out there by what's not really a great movie as far as quantum physics goes, but an interesting one nevertheless. Well, you know, it's one of those things. Yes, it does not exactly explain quantum physics, quantum physics in a way that would make quantum physicists happy. However, it gives you a general idea. And the one theory that it goes through a lot of is an idea that physicists hate and can't disprove. And they've tried to disprove it, which is the other world's theory. And the other world or other world's theory basically says that every moment an infinite amount of different worlds are created because every moment contains an infinite amount of decisions. And each decision creates a new world, which means that you could conceivably make any decision and choose which world you would like to go to. Now, the theory goes further to basically state that you can the future and the past are both pre-existent. So what you're doing is picking which quantum world of possibilities your consciousness is paying attention to. This is kind of important because it means that any possibility is equally valid. And this was the, having worked with this theory as a magical model for a while, um, this was a theory that made me doubt stuff like a holy guardian angel and an absolutely set true will. Uh, yeah, I guess it would. Well, unless it was your true will to do that type of experimentation. Yeah, well, even at that point, though, you have to ask, what is true will in a multiverse that has endless possibilities and equally are equally valid possibilities? I started to think of true will in that case as more of a vector, right? You're you're willfully allowing yourself to go down a certain vector. Um, I found it to be a better metaphor. But yeah, I did a whole bunch of rituals to further uh, my understanding of that. And it, some of those experiments were in... The baseline of it was basically in Experiments on the Edge, which is a megalith uh, publications. And... Um, I had basically only written about 10 pages because I felt like I pretty well explained the general idea is that while the secret covers such things as willfully choosing uh, which quantum pathway you're going to go, the danger is, is that if you're talking to a future self, that it will influence events to make you bring about the future self. But that's not all you can do. If you have shamanic skills you can talk to a parallel self or past self to get information, maybe information that you didn't know. You can hop to different people because it, eventually at some point you have a shared genetic ancestry um, that you can follow back through time. You can talk to future people at 
if you're really good at channeling, could in fact bring back technology if you understood what you were seeing and could put it into words. Well, see, now that's where it gets tough. A buddy of mine brought this argument up once. Uh, let's just say World War III happens, okay, and everything gets pretty much wiped. And there you are with all this supposed knowledge going, okay, we need to set up some plumbing. Okay, how do we do that? Well, we get some PVC. How do we make PVC? Well, it's, it's even. I think it's worse than that, actually, right? Because... To say, let's get some PVC as a clear message that you would bring across, you'd have to have a conception of what PVC is. If you didn't have a conception, you would describe it as a white cylinder. Mm-hmm. Maybe a white cylinder. Maybe you'll describe texture if you were really good at mediumship. So at that point, if I describe a white cylinder with bends... You know, that seemed to decorate ceilings. Would you think that was plumbing instantly? Right? They wouldn't even necessarily know that. See, you're, you're on the right track. You see this, you could see a modern technology that still doesn't mean you have the means to put, put it together. Right. I mean, if you were going to use the techniques to kind of bring across technology, you'd have to bring across technology that was near modern, and you'd have to be very well, very well schooled in the current technology to understand how it could be derived. Otherwise, you couldn't conceive of what that technology would be. It would look like magic, you know, because it would be weird. You wouldn't have a conception. It would just work, and you'd have no way to understand how it worked. Well, certainly, <clears throat> conceiving things that we don't know, uh, have an understanding for, has brought about change, such as science fiction showed us things in Star Trek that great minds then set out to create. That's I like that. I want it to work. That's absolutely true. But the conception, even in Star Trek, of the most notable thing in Star Trek that they conceived of was the... Uh, what is modern cell phones? You know, that wasn't too far of a jump in technology to say, okay, we have a phone, right? All the thing that you have to adjust there is, I have a phone that can move around with me. That's not a huge leap in technology. That's a real small iterative leap. That's really what it was. It's a phone that travels with you. That's the difference between the phones they had at the time. That is a huge jump in technology. That, that's a really small jump in technology. You know, they already had basic computers and to say, well, what if we had a computer that could fit in the palm of our hands? That would be really cool. But that's still a small jump in technology. You already have a framework to understand how that could work. You basically. And we're talking about technology that you wouldn't even have a framework. Uh, you know, things like what 2001 tries to actually explain with the obsolus, where the apes just see a stone thing and then they become man. They have no conception of what that technology is 
and no idea of what that technology does even at the end of the movies even at 2010 they really don't know what it is it's clear it's a technology but it's so far above us it might as well be the gods coming in and changing us it's hmm. a good point so so what are you saying andrea that pretty much stretching out too far into the future to try to glean information would just be a waste of time no but to gain specific information requires a specific skill set so it's a real balancing act so you might get various ideas that the future you know there'll be a nuclear war or there'll be this or we'll have peace and tranquility after this but to make it useful for your life right now means you have to have limits. And the limits is what allows you to kind of, in an engineering sense, be very useful and pull that information out. I mean, that's kind of the difference. You know that I'm big on results-driven magic, not just wild speculation. And while the results-driven magic in this case, if you're going out to the future, isn't necessarily that you could pull technology across. It's... When you went out to the future and gained the information from this kind of quantum metaphor, did it first come about, which could be self-fulfilling prophecy? Second, you know, was it a better life for you? Was it what you wanted? And did you see magical results occur as a result of peering out there? This is the problem of divination. You know, the quantum other worlds theory I really enjoy the theory. I've done a lot of magic with it, but it removes one of the worst things about divination right off the bat. Every possibility is equally valid. So you're just looking at what is the most probable event and how could you change it if you want to, as opposed to looking at divination as matter of fact. Well... <clears throat> See, you know, there, there's a good point you brought up because I don't think divination ever is a matter of fact. Yeah, but people have the myth that it is, right? They think that once it's somebody divines something, that's how it is. You know, when you start slipping into this quantum other worlds there, you realize you're just looking at different potential future worlds. And this happens to be, if nothing changed, what might come about. Hey, but uh, I guess on the same I have to be fair and say that I have seen really spooky stuff go down with divination too. So, yeah, I understand why people would get that idea. Exactly. So, I mean, I really like that theory. And I think I gave a pretty elegant, I mean, I wish I could have wrote it into a whole book instead of 10 pages. But really, the 10 pages I did are really elegant and simple. I mean, you saw what I was basically doing, like... You envision, you meditate, you allow yourself to float out of body, uh, going to a place that has a multi-interconnected network, which is the metaphor I was using for quantum realities. Mm -hmm. And then you would go to different pathways and you would look and look what was going on from where you're standing right there, which gives you a shamanic visionary experience of the different realities and then the better your mediumship skills or the better your vision skills the your in the classic shamanic vision sense the better information you get and experiences you can get from those different quantum streams and i basically have four exercises 
that as you work through, you get you can get better and better and better. Um, which the simple one is just looking in. From there, it's like asserting in or putting yourself in the shoes. And then a third level is just once you're in there and you have inserted in to actually see, feel, and hear what's going on in that stream, you then just download the information. And then there's another one, the last one, where you just let that person that is you from the other stream be present here fully so you let them take over for a little while that that's usually the rarest you wouldn't usually want that to happen but sometimes you do you've seen me use rituals where we've used that technique yes to great effect actually because the quantum self had different abilities than i did and i was manifesting different abilities one i was basically i don't want to use the word possessed but that's what it was possessed by this other force that was me but it wasn't me Or I guess we, if we wanted to be politically correct, like, when do I ever care about being politically correct? But I guess we could just say a strong state of channeling. Yeah, you know, it's more like a possession than a strong state of channeling. I wasn't home. I wasn't there. I mean, everyone knows I'm a voodoo priest, so I get possessed. Uh, but I wasn't there. I don't remember it. I don't have a context for remembering it because I didn't have the skill set this other me had. I didn't have a context to remember it, which is the other big problem. So it might have skill sets that I don't have. It might be a parallel self in the quantum soup, as it were. I have no way of understanding what the context is to get the information. So if it was a magical skill set that I don't really know, there's no way I could understand what was being done consciously until I studied it later and derived some of the skill set to move forward. Which I believe you actually did. You were able to um, reverse engineer some of the information you had gleaned. Yeah, in some cases when I actually saw things that I have no conception of, it's like a shaman staring at the ocean. And this is in, you know, what the belief do we know too. But this is actually how shamans actually could look at things. They couldn't see a ship until you can understand what it is. That that was the conception and what you see. Well, okay. I, I'm just going to say there's been substantial argument that they may have just made that up. but uh, they, you know. they probably did. But it's a, that's a great metaphor. That's supposed to be a metaphor, too. You know, with the quantum stuff, especially when you're directly beaming stuff in your head, if you can't understand it, it's like you're staring at a puzzle in your mind. You don't know what you're looking at. Uh, you don't have any idea what it is. You just sit there and go, huh, and you try to make sense of it and keep going over different iterations until you make sense of it. Amazingly, this is what Jung talks about when he talks about the demonic stepping into your life, that there's this huge thing that happens in your subconscious mind. You start having nightmares. I, I didn't have nightmares, but you start having weird visions, nightmares, until you can make sense of a new source of power coming into your reality. That's what Jung basically calls the demonic. Until it becomes understandable to you, it's just symbols or it's just a puzzle or it's just shapes that you can't really put together. Kind of like 
if you could only see a quarter of an inch of an elephant, how would you derive the whole elephant? Yes, I've, I've had interesting experiences in vision quests where my internal cameraman is like got a sixth sense of humor because it's like there I am trying to get a vision and I see a flower, for example. It's like, okay, what does this mean? And after a while longer, it pans out. It's a vase of flowers. Okay, what the hell does this mean? And, you know, substantial steps later, oh, oh, okay, it's my friend's living room. Yeah, no, that's exactly <laughs> it. But if you stopped at the flower, if you stopped at the flower, how would you ever get to the point you know it's your friend's living room? Right. Or how many people have just stopped at the flower and just focused there and tried to derive some kind of information from it, you know? Well, we could we could talk about that for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> <laughs> right, so most of me, when I was reverse engineering the techniques, and I think you've seen me actually do this for months and months and months, I'm working on the same vision, uh, doing what you just described. But uh, obviously, it's not my friend's living room. I'm trying right, to, right. Trying to piece together some kind of technique that I would get from a parallel or future self that I need, or more likely that I would like to have. And it just takes months of work to really understand the context. You know, I almost have to, when I do this kind of work and you're swimming across quantum streams, almost ask that parallel or future self to put the clues into your head as you're doing the ritual. So, if they are a future self, there was certainly a pathway to derive that information and how you got it. It could put the major clues in there that you could access at certain times as you're making progress. Likewise, if it's a parallel self, you have to know how did this information in a parallel quantum universe come about? Can you give me the clues? without the details, just the clues inside your mind. Because if you actually get all the details, it's like staring at one petal of the flower and then you move to the next flower. It gets really tedious. Mm -hmm. When really you just need an outline of how did you derive this series of information so that way when you're working through the information, you're kind of like have the general road that you need to go down. So when you research analog or similar type of metaphysical ideas, or techniques or skills, you make much faster progress because the information is already there in your subconscious mind, and now you just bring it into the conscious mind. So, something else that deals with the whole space time question because um, bear in mind, we didn't just say time, we said space, and we've already gotten into oh, I don't know where dimensional quantum cells would fall, I guess that'd be space and time in many ways, but what about the whole idea of magical effects that occur over great distances? Well, that's the other thing. If time is illusion, space has to be too, in a lot of ways. And the Buddhists, they're right on the money. I don't know that they're right on the money, but they, they certainly, that's exactly what they say, that it's not real. You know from Reiki that when we do Reiki work, we can heal over great distances and it doesn't matter. You know, Obviously, quantum science, you know, has stuff like quantum entanglement, which talks about 
particles across space and time. That doesn't mean that the magic works the same way, but at least it opens the possibility that it might, that it's possible that such a magic could work across distances because when two particles have been in contact with each other, if you separate them across the universe, they will resonate with each other in a way that if you change one, it'll change the other particle. That isn't saying that that's exactly how magic works, but it says that at least it's possible that distance magic could work or that space doesn't work the way we think it does. And not to get technical about it, but when people start theorizing and doing the math on warp drives, what are they doing? They slip. Warp drives a little different, but it essentially puts a bubble around you where it's possible to kind of jump out of space so you can go faster than light. Where space actually warps around you. Where space yes. actually warps around you. As opposed to you're moving faster than light, you're warping space. And not necessarily in a good way, because infinite... Oh, you're taking me back to high school with this one. Uh, <clears throat> approaching the speed of light would create infinite mass. Infinite mass, I can only theorize, would be destructive to the universe. Well, it's what happens at the center of a black hole. So, we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But still, there's some science to back up this notion that really space is kind of illusionary. And oftentimes, in practical magic, what I'll do when I'm on long distances and I have to get somewhere, we've all had it, I won't try to manipulate time. What I'll try to do is just let my consciousness kind of skip over space. So it's kind of like every hill and road looks the same on some roads. Yes. So it's like you just skip over parts. And I've done this with meditation. It doesn't always work. On some roads, it, it, it really does always work. You can get it most of the time. And you kind of just repeat a mantra, and you kind of just see space folding, and you kind of skip. And, but you're making little skips. It's not like you're all of a sudden 20 miles down the road. It's like you're making a few feet at a time skips, but they add up. Does that make sense? That's the basic method of skipping space that I've done in the past to get somewhere on time. That does make sense. That that actually would would put a logical bend around what the heck I was doing last weekend. Yeah. Because I really haven't had time to sit down and reverse engineer what the heck happened. No, and, and we both know that the drive from here, from Cleveland to Columbus, is monotonous. Very monotonous. So it's really easy to do the kind of thing where I'm saying it's the same kind of road. It's not interesting. And you just forget parts of it. And you can play a trick with your mind to just skip over them. And but, but here's the difference, folks, okay? That's what's separating these occurrences from, say, mental games. Because you're actually looking at a clock after the fact and realizing, I know what time I left and I know what time I got here. And there, it, this is not adding up. Yeah, that's exactly it. But we've also seen, you know, we've also seen weird effects in ritual where space does break down. Where we'll see, I don't want to say the warp thing, but where we've seen space start breaking down around us. 
Um, and there's an astral world that seems to overlay over space. We've seen that in the fairy magic. We've seen that with some of the magic we've did uh, in various places. Um, you couldn't convince people who were at those rituals that it hadn't happened, that some kind of spatial breakdown occurred. Again, suggesting that space may, in fact, as the mystics say, be just another component of a reality that isn't as set as we think. Well, some some schools of mysticism say that all of reality is merely an illusion anyway, so... Yeah. It's all malleable to some degree, if that's the case. Well, exactly. And if it's malleable, well, what are the limits of the malleability? Now, I'm not one person to say, with the time magic... And the space magic, I'm not going to say, I am a guru, you know, yogi who can walk through walls. But other people have clearly demonstrated those abilities in other parts of the world. Yes. Documented, it's happened, you know. I will say that some of the time magic that I've done, and I I think of myself as better at time magic, has been documented and pretty well reproducible. Now this, but all these things take time, and it's not. I mean, <laughs> that was a pun, but I mean, all these things take time to master. So if all I was doing was time magic all the time, I could probably get to the point that I could do weird things. If all I was doing was space magic, and I had this metaphor, and I was doing ten hours of meditation on these principles, I might be able to go pass through a wall. But the truth is, I have a family. And I have to make a living, so I don't quite haven't quite gone so far. Well, and there's something to be said to that to to those out there that say this isn't possible. Quite honestly, the people that get the most tangible um, paranormal effects from the work that they do are the yogis and the people who do nothing but meditate and go through mental exercises from the time they wake up till the time they sleep. If they sleep, some of these people meditate for sleep. Yeah, that's exactly true. That's exactly and, true. But here's the problem. Now, I understand why the skeptics feel the way that they do, because I, I've, I'm very skeptical about a lot of things, even as a magician and a paranormal investigator. The problem is, when you put cameras around these people, it tends to mess things up. The camera is a tough observer, and... You know, I have a camera and I haven't been able to do the kind of work that I want to do uh, to test that. But it messes things up because the camera is a third observer that doesn't have consciousness. So you have to manipulate matter or at least the information going into there. That's really hard. Um, it's much easier to manipulate consciousness and to get another person in sync with you. Even if you're not using hypnosis, if you're just using energy work and get them to feed in to the effect. So you get a multiplier effect. Camera, there's no feeding into it. Uh, you can't get a multiplier effect from the camera's consciousness because it doesn't have any. And that's why it gets a lot tougher for a lot of the gurus and these people because they have to really get the information out and they have to understand how the camera works 
uh, to understand how to manipulate the technology, how to manipulate the information going into technology. If they spent that much time learning about how a camera works, they quite honestly probably do not. They haven't been doing enough meditation and magical work to get the effects they're looking for. Well, I will say this. Now, if someone else out there has studied this occurrence more and understands that maybe there was a hoax and wants to email me and you scream that I'm wrong, that's fine. Um, I'd be glad to hear more info because I haven't had time lately to look up the info. But there was some type of guru here a few months ago who was put on a camera, 24-hour surveillance for a month, did not eat or drink for a month, did not lose weight, did not dehydrate, and was medically fine at the end of it. That's probably true. You know, the Hindu system produces CDs that can, can do that. It takes a lot of work takes more work. And those people who are at that lit level of power are doing so to prove something to us, to tell us it's possible to do that. You know, the interesting thing is just playing devil's advocate and saying this is absolutely 100% true without fault. Even if you get the camera in there and you get hardcore proof that this stuff is possible, what happens? People don't spread the news. Uh, you know, it's like I, I, it's you could give people solid evidence and it'll be suppressed. Well, that's certainly the truth. That's certainly the truth. And a lot of times it will. Maybe you could talk about some of the quantum rituals we did and how we went about doing them uh, real fast. Well, certainly. Um, now I'm trying to think about what quantum ritual he's referring to because we've we've done a couple different ones, but honestly, let's say you want to go to an alternate reality. We've done some work on this. The, um, we did work with Papa Legba even to because okay in Voodoo Papa Legba was the gatekeeper. And he opens the roads. So we did work exclusively with Papa Legba to give us alternate choices to make our lives go smoother. This is just one possibility. Because what you're looking into is the idea of how does one not shake up their life to the point that it's... We didn't want major changes, and we wanted to put all, let's just say, the odds in our favor. So what you do is you find a parallel quantum reality that's not substantially different from your own, but where you have greater likelihood of things being able to go your way. And you run with it. Because it's all just an odds game, folks. And... <clears throat> Andrea? Yeah, yep. Sorry, must have had a split. That's okay. I, I was just getting into... Now, here's the thing. I don't like talking about private rituals. 
That's because true. there's other people involved, and uh, yeah, it's just the whole idea of I was saying how an entity like Papa Legba can open pathways to help put odds in your favor, and how you could go into a parallel a parallel reality where the odds are more in your favor. And I wasn't going into great detail because I wasn't sure what everyone else would concur on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really possible. That's one of the things you could do. I mean, you could also augment future possibilities uh, by just seeing the quantum strands and then choosing one and internalizing it and then asking that future self to provide you with all the information that you need to make it come about. And it'll change your personality to make itself come about. Which is dangerous. Especially if you don't want that future. And that's something I was hitting on, where if one wanted to play it safe, you're going for a parallel reality where things aren't too drastically different. Yeah. But even then, you could have unintended consequences. In fact, even some of the rituals you've seen we've done had unintended consequences. Since if you switch over to a different quantum reality, there's just subtle things that could be different, and those subtle things can really throw you off. Uh, and such things as a 24-hour Walgreens all of a sudden being there. Uh, if you really get freaky about that, kind of changes like that, well... Then you're reinforcing a linear story of how things are, and your mind starts freaking out. Okay, that I will touch upon, because that was freaky. Yeah, after this particular, mm, we'll say, dimensional shift, after the fact, I'm going out to get refreshments with a friend. And we knew that we had to pass a particular Walgreens that it was too late to go to to get to the one that would be open. Well, in passing that intersection, we found out, hey, guess what? We're passing a 24-hour Walgreens that used to close at 10 p.m. As in, like, <laughs> the night before. Right, and those kind of things, actually, if you freak out about them, you start getting all paranoid about, oh, my God, what's going on here? What's the world like? Things are subtly different, and it can get really... Uh, potentially anxiety producing, right? Because your mind wants a linear story and here you're saying there isn't a linear story because you, you, you did a ritual to jump quantum realities or you did a time ritual. You, you just envisioned yourself as a different reality and then, bam. And you, it can really screw with your magic if you think about it. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, here's the thing, folks. We're we're definitely... I know this has been an out-there show, and I know there's probably people shaking their heads going, what the heck are these people talking about? Well, I tell you what. Um, Andrea got the title slightly wrong earlier. It's called Magic on the Edge, an anthology of experimental occultism. That's magic with a K. Google it. It's easy to find. Check out some of these exercises Andrea put in there. He's right. It's only 10 pages in an anthology. But if you play with it and follow the instructions and experiment a little, I think you're going to find that even though it's a very obtuse topic, you can get something out of it. Well, and you know, the beautiful thing about 
the quantum other worlds theory is it, it in a way makes magic easier right you don't have to do heavy lifting you only have to pay attention to a different quantum reality that has what you want because it's already there so you're not really doing putting it on your back and dragging the reality and changing the energy you're just paying attention to something that already existed it's like a mental metaphor that allows you to kind of do pretty effective magic much faster so is there anything anything that you'd ominously oh wow oh, no we don't have time for an ominous warning because well, it's about that time before you do this stuff learn banishing well <laughs> there we go there's my honestly my ominous warning just learn banishing um and with that thanks to the luminous again for the fine music we'll see you next week uh, if anyone has music, please send it to us and, and talk to us. We really want to have about three, maybe about two songs a show, two plus the intro and out show. All right. Have a good week, and we'll see you all next week.